You're listening to the Metro LA Podcast, an official podcast of the LA International Church of Christ. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Metro Region of the International Church of Christ in Los Angeles. It's great to have you here with us this morning. Great to have the family, the Metro family together and all our friends and families and co-workers and neighbors and whoever's with us joining us this morning. It's great to have you here this morning. We are uh, continuing. We are doing a Sunday morning series on Jesus and on just learning all that we can about Jesus Our theme is having our eyes focused on Jesus, so we're here all about Jesus and learning as much as we can. So I want to welcome you, uh, and thank you for joining us this morning. Now, before we jump into the sermon, I do have uh, just a couple things I want to share. Number one, you know, I want to say thank you. For me, uh, Robert Carrillo, I'm so grateful for everybody here, my family. Uh, uh, This week was my birthday, my 57th birthday, last Tuesday, and uh, the crew uh, put together... uh, a, uh, uh, what do you call those? A birthday parade, a drive-by parade. And I was so encouraged. My family all came up. They all got to see everybody. It was super encouraging. Thank you for that. Thank you for the cards and the gifts and the Facebook messages and the texts. And, uh, just, it's great to be part of a great family. Thank you. I love you guys so much. I was very, very encouraged. You know, a lot's happening in our world right now, and our world's changing. Fashion is changing. I saw this, and uh, I thought, I sure hope nobody buys me this for my birthday. <laughs> Matching masks and ties, and that's uh, probably not the best thing unless you know for sure somebody wants it. But the world's changing, right? they got all kinds of new designs on masks. Uh, they've got ones now you can order that they actually take a picture of your face and try to make it match your face or not. Um, there's... Uh, creative designs out there, people just making their own uh, masks at home and figuring out what to do. I'm not sure I'd want to wear any of these, especially on a hot day. Um, some interesting masks out there. You want to terrorize all the little kids in the neighborhood, uh, put this mask on. And then there's, uh, you know, just some creative new designs out there that I would rather not have. And then this one is just wrong. Uh, it's just wrong. Uh, there's People are getting very creative out there. You can tell we're getting bored. And we're thinking of new ways and new things to do. So uh, today, it's Jesus and the mission. And really, it's kind of part two, uh, because last time we did a, a part one, and really, I preached kind of the traditional mission that we always talk about, because it's very, very important. Uh, coming out of Matthew 28, uh, starting in 18, going through 19 and 20, Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's our mission. That's the mission we know If you've been a Christian very long in the church, you quickly learn this one. You know this one. This is our bread and butter. This is our reason for being here. This is what the church is all about. What our folk, much of our focus is, is helping people become Christians. If you're visiting with us and you're wondering, well, what's this church all about? Well, this is what we're all about is helping you be a disciple, baptizing you as a disciple and helping you, uh, to, to obey and follow Jesus all the days of your life obviously really important. This is Jesus' parting instructions to the early church. And, uh, you know, we have, we actually have a world missions 
collection coming up. I want to remind everybody, this is my plug for that because fits right in. And we're going to be supporting mission work, people helping people to become disciples, people getting baptized in the Philippines, the Caribbean, the in Lebanon, which is very important right now because of what's happened recently in Tijuana, which is one of our neighbors to the south, and continuing some of the work in the southwest. It's a big deal to God. Therefore, it's a big deal to us. So let's be praying about that, planning on making that great. I have one little quick short story to just encourage your hearts with. You know, in 1987, a couple of majorly important things happened. Um, I graduated from college and I got sent out on a mission team to Mexico City. Michelle and I both went to Mexico City. We packed our bags. We went off to Mexico City to plant the church. Uh, I got to say this, though. One really cool thing is one of the last things, I, last campus devos I went to before we left, we that, that night we had a prayer night, and one of the top of the lists on the prayer of prayers was that a church would be planted in Los Angeles. We were praying that we wanted to see our neighbor to the north, Los Angeles City. I was living in San Diego to see it have a church, and boom, to see one of our churches planted there. Um, so 1987, we go to Mexico City, and I was member number, I think I was member number 17, and Michelle was like member number 20. She came a little bit after I did. And so the church was still under 20 members, but we were full of faith. We were on a mission and we dreamed about seeing churches planted all across Mexico, all through the Central America and even into the Caribbean. And that was our dream. That was our prayer. We talked about it. All of us had a vision of going to another country. You know, Michelle and I were actually only there two years and then we were sent on a mission team of all places, Miami, Florida. So a lot of people don't know that Mexico City planted a church in the United States. Uh, planted the church in Miami. Michelle and I were part of that team. But the church kept growing, kept planting churches. And here we are now in 2020, and that's what it looks like. We have 45 churches all across Mexico, Central America, the Caribbean. And that's what God does when disciples have faith, when they step out, and, and they put their faith into action. And that's just one place. And this happened all over the world. Over the next few weeks, you're going to be hearing good news from the different places that we will be supporting. Um, all of that was with the intention of fulfilling the Matthew 28 commission that we've been given, the commandment that we've been given by Jesus to go make disciples and baptize them. Because we know the importance of baptism. In Colossians 1.13 it says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. You know that God has taken us out of darkness and brought us into the light. From death to life. From loss to save. That's, that's, that's the most incredible journey. It's, you know, if you ever go to a baptism, when you're at a baptism, all of us who, you know, we've, we've been around a long time. We've seen many. They're just so exciting and you never get tired of seeing them because you know what an, a miracle, what an incredible thing is happening in that person's life. In Ephesians 5, 8, it says, for you were once darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Live as children of light. You know, that it's when they go from darkness to light, death to life, lost to save. It's that turning point. It's that changing moment. And they have a brand new life in Jesus. 
And it's a great celebration. I mean, each, I remember each of my kids. I remember my aunt. I remember my, my, my nephew. My niece is studying the Bible right now. We can't wait for that to happen. We, you know, uh, we, we've had different relatives. Grandma, 78 years old, studied the Bible. Michelle's grandma and, and had that moment in her life. And, and she's since passed and gone on to heaven. And, and she's going to be waiting for us. You know, she'll be one of the first to rise. It's an incredible moment. It's why we, invite people to church. It's why we do what we do, that they all have that moment. However, there are some challenges involved. There's this thing called fallaways. This is thing that happens. And we, and if you've been around the church very long, you know what I'm talking about. It's one of the heartbreaking things is to see people after so much excitement years later, lose their heart or lose their love and fall away. Matthew 24, 12, Jesus said, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Jesus warned us that that's what's going to happen in this world, that people's hearts will grow cold. And it's a terrible thing to see. In Hebrews 6, 4, one of the scariest scriptures in the Bible, he says, it is impossible for those who have been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the coming age, who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. You know, he also, he tells us what happens. He tells us that when, when there's a point of no return and, and I know we use the term fall away kind of loosely. Anybody who stops going to church or stops, stops uh, praying or stops living as a Christian, we immediately call them followers. And that that does make sense because that, that word is used different ways in the Bible as well. But there is a, a state or a line, I would say, that's a point of no return. When somebody has fallen away, when they're still coming to church or they're still looking, they haven't hit that point yet. But there's a point where people will no longer come back. They'll no longer go to church. They'll no longer listen and there's nothing that can be done about it. And that's what Hebrew writer is saying. And in chapter 10, he says, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. It is a serious thing to walk away from God. It is a dreadful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. That's what he tells us. That's his warning. This is God's warning to us. Don't walk away from him. Don't turn your back on him. And if you've been a Christian very long, unfortunately, you've seen this happen many times. You've seen many people that you were there when they were baptized and the excitement and the joy and the miracles and marriages put back together, people set free from addictions, relationships restored, incredible miracles in their life. And yet you fast forward five years later, they don't want to go to church. They don't want to read their Bible or they're not doing well and they walk away. And you know, you scratch your head. What happened? How could that be? How can it be that somebody who's experienced so many great things walk away and it happens? People fall away. So that is one of our great challenges as a church. You know, I always thought that the big challenge was getting people to believe, repent and be baptized. But I realize now that there's another challenge that's equally big. 
maybe even bigger in some ways, because the timeline is so long. And that's getting them from the baptistry to heaven. That's a much longer journey, much more, many more challenges. That's what I'm saying here is mission number two or mission B, the other part of that, teaching them to obey everything he has commanded, keeping people with Jesus. And, you know, you'll notice, well, I'd say this first is that the challenge to get somebody from the baptistry all the way to heaven. That's a huge challenge. That's our challenge. That is part of our mission. It doesn't end at baptism. You know, we all rejoice when somebody gets baptized, and we should because of the miracle it represents. But the truth is, that just means they're on the highway. (laughs) And it's a long road. For most of us, it involves decades, 30, 40, 50, 60 years before we breathe our last breath, die and face Jesus, face God. And for many of us, it's going to be a long time. Now, I've been a Christian 38 years. You know, it's, it's hilarious. And my, my, you know, when Michelle's grandma became a Christian, she was 78 and she passed away about a year later. And we were rejoicing in her life and rejoicing in her victory. But we were saying, wow, isn't that crazy? She, she, she gets in the kingdom and she's already on her way to heaven. We've been doing this for 35 years, you know, when, when that had happened. And, and, but that's the way it is. You know, Jesus told a parable about the workers in the vineyard, though. Some are going to start early in the morning. Some are going to go in the afternoon and everybody gets the same reward. And she's going to get the same reward that we get. And that's awesome. But I've been in this 38 years. You know, I used to think, I used to wonder when I was a young Christian, why is Enoch so special? Like, what did he do? Well, now is that I've been a Christian 38 years and I know how many challenges I've been through. How many times I've been hurt? How many times I've been deceived by somebody or disillusioned or disappointed or let down or criticized or judged or, or falsely accused or all this wounds that you get from brothers and sisters? Not the wounds from the world. Those don't hurt. The ones that, I mean, they hurt a little, but it's the wounds in the fellowship that hurt a lot more. And I've learned to forgive and to keep loving, to keep giving, to keep faithful, to keep believing in God's goodness and keep loving people because Jesus loved me to never quit on people. Enoch was faithful 365 years. Man. I mean, most of the time when I tell, especially when I'm traveling internationally, when I tell people so I've been a Christian 38 years, you can always hear the crowd goes, whoa. Because <laughs> for them, most of them have been Christians 10 years, 15 years, and they think 38's a long time. 365 years, imagine that. What a victory. And Enoch was doing so good, God just brought him on up. He didn't even have to go through death. I always tell people, I'm not afraid of dying. I just don't want to be there when it happens. I'd like God to take me out about two minutes before. We think that the path from the baptistry to our heavenly welcome is a straight path, but it's not. The longer you've been around, the more you know this, that there's ups and downs, and sometimes you go backwards, and you got to repent and get going forward again. And sometimes you got to relearn things that you should have learned a long time ago. But because you didn't learn it, you got to learn it again. 
And sometimes there's great moments and great victories along the way. And then sometimes there's, you get beat down or you get discouraged or you get hurt. So it's not quite as easy as people think. And it doesn't look like that straight line. It probably would be more a squiggly line like you're looking at, like you can see. And that's, that's just, it is. That's what it is. It's a challenge. There's a whole lot of psychology and theology behind how people spiritually develop. And there's a three model, there's a three-step classic model, a four-step classic model. And they're basically that everybody goes through these phases. There's justification, which is really got nothing to do with you. It's all about Jesus, how he came, he died on the cross, he set it up for you. There's salvation, and that's being baptized, believing, repenting, and being baptized, and devoting your life to Jesus. That's the part where you respond to the justification. And then there's sanctification, and that's living your life in Jesus. And then the last one is when you die, is glorification. These are classic models. They go way back, and there's a whole lot behind them. But I want to focus on the one in the middle, sanctification. Because that's the one that most of us are going to be at in a law for a long time. This is where we're called to live a godly, holy life from baptistry to our last breath. In Ephesians 1, 4, it says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight in love. This is where we're transformed into the likeness of Jesus. This is where we learn to have the mind of Christ. This is where we learn to live with our eyes fixed on Jesus. This is where we learn to deal with all the challenges, with all the hard times, with the hurts, with the difficulties, with the obstacles that the world, that Satan will throw at us. And they will be many because Satan wants you out. You know, Jesus told Peter, Satan is asked to sift you out. And the same, could be, the same could be said to you, that Satan is always trying to sift us. First Peter 5, 8, he says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. You know, particularly right now, with, with the quarantine, with all the, the unrest and the political ideologies that are being thrown around and, and the fear that is just palpable, especially in our country, but not just our country, all over the world. I talked to a brother in India. I talked to a brother in Bolivia. I talked to a brother in, in, in Mexico and all of them are, everybody's saying the same thing, literally all around the world. We're feeling it. We're in this struggle and, and because we're not getting together in physical form where the best we can do is zoom. And we're very blessed because most of us have a tablet or a computer or something, but in many countries and many churches, they don't have tablets. They don't, the members don't have ways to connect the way we do. And they're all going through this and we're all around the world going through this. And Satan would love nothing more than to pull you out of the kingdom of God, than to pull you out of his church and to snatch you. And he says that he's, he prowls around looking for someone to devour. And so when he's prowling around in our fellowship, 
Who is weak? Who is by themselves? Who is not well connected? Who is struggling and not spiritually strong? Who's not reading their Bible? Who's not praying much? Who isn't talking to the brothers and sisters? Who isn't confessing their sin and their hearts hardening? Who is being influenced by politics and their hearts hardening and suddenly they're not so close to the brothers and sisters anymore? Who's giving in to anger or bitterness? Who is giving in to despair? Who is losing their faith because they're not replenishing it in the Bible every day? That's who he's looking for. And if that's you, I guarantee you, he's coming after you. So I want to share five keys real quick that will help us in the sanctification mode. This is the mode we're in. And I will tell you this, just from the beginning, you've got to be resolute. You've got to be, you've got to be determined. You've got to be purposeful. You've got to be intentional. I am not getting pulled out of God's kingdom. I am not falling away. I am not turning my back. And, and let me tell you, everybody goes through ups and downs. I mean, technically Peter fell away three times. The third time he swore that he didn't even know Jesus. It happens. All the apostles scattered when the soldiers came. So just because we've been strong doesn't mean we are strong now. Just because we've done a lot doesn't mean we're able to do much now. It's what we're doing now that counts, not what we did a year ago, not what we did 10 years ago. It's where are we at today? Are we strong in the Lord? So here's the keys I want to share. Number one, protect your walk with God. Protect it. Don't let anything interfere with it. Don't let anything take your eyes off of Jesus. We all have heard the many sermons. When did Peter start to sink? When he took his eyes off Jesus and he looked at the wind and the waves. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And how do you do that? Well, reading your Bible every day. Reading books that help you understand the scriptures. Praying. Memorizing scriptures. All of that builds your relationship. Keep walking with God. Don't just pray in the morning. Pray in the afternoon. Pray in the evening. You know, if you have one of those like an Apple watch or in that, you can have, there's apps that will remind you to pray. I have an app that reminds me to pray three times a day and it shows me pictures of people. I get pictures of my kids and it just reminds me to pray for them. And we have to be that. It doesn't matter what anybody else does. We have to have that conviction. In Philippians 2.12, he says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What does he mean by that? He means you have to fight for your salvation because Satan wants you. And he is asked to sift you out. And you got to make sure you're strong. Don't just be hanging in there. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in God. Be strong in the Bible. Be strong in in prayer. Learn how to get on your knees. Put your forehead on the ground. Just that act alone connects us to God. Something happens when you're on the ground and your forehead's on the ground. And you know you're standing before the living God. You got to protect that. Because you're going to need the full armor of God. You're going to need what Ephesians 6 tells us to put on the whole armor of God to stand against the devil's schemes. You know, if you've been a Christian 10 years 
I just, I just calculated this out of curiosity. If you spent from a half hour to an hour a day, let's say five days a week, reading your Bible and praying, in, in, in 10 years, you will have put 1,200 to 2,400 hours of study time. That's a lot of Bible. That's a lot of time with the Lord. It helps us. It strengthens us. It helps us to be what we need to be. Number two, maintain significant relationships. Nobody gets to heaven by themselves. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the hand cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. We need each other. It's part of God's plan. It's how Jesus set up things. He didn't come and reach out to the apostle Paul, convert him and send him out. He started a group and he taught them to work together, to help each other. They needed each other. One of the greatest apostles was Peter. He did so much, but he needed Paul to come in and rebuke him when he was not willing to hang out with Gentiles, when he was slipping back in fear of criticism. We need each other. You know, I, I need my time. I need, I need, I need Reese in my life. I, I need Doug in my life. I have brothers in San Diego I talk to. I have brothers in, in Jersey that I talk to regularly. I have brothers all over the world that I speak to, that share, that ask me how I'm doing. I share with them how I'm doing. They share with me how they're doing. We just need each other. And I've been a Christian 38 years. You might think, well, Robert, man, you got to be strong enough to stand on your own now. I will never be that strong because Satan will always be after me. I need people that will ask me tough questions that will, will, will help me. Every Wednesday morning, Doug and I pray. We just pray together and we encourage each other. And then on Fridays, we get together. Sometimes we get together and talk about the church. And then sometimes we get together and talk about how we're doing. But we need that. I need that. You need that. If you have the idea that I don't really need people in my life, you are one of those ones that's going to disappear. You are a target. The three relationships that all of us need is a disciple, somebody who can help you. And, and this will decrease with time. When we first become Christians, we need lots of direction because we're learning everything. But you never, you never get to a point where you don't need somebody who can help you. All of us do. We need peers, people that we can just pray together, that we can encourage one another, we can help each other. And we should be pouring what we know and what we've learned into younger disciples. Younger spiritually, younger in age. We should be giving all that we are receiving. We should be in those kind of relationships. We say, well, I don't have anybody younger than me. Well, then go find somebody younger than you and, and give to them. The world needs it. We have, we know so much about God, about Jesus, about the scriptures. Far more than most of the world. And are we sharing that? Are we giving that? Are we a land that receives rain and bears much fruit? Are we a land that receives the rain and bears no fruit? Fruit is expected. Fruit is required. And which fruit? All fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Yep. Helping people to know God. Yep. We're supposed to be fruitful. So we're not just takers, but we're givers. But we got to have those relationships. Somebody that's helping us to fill our love tank and then pouring it out for others. Those relationships are so important. And particularly when we're challenged, figuring out a way to maintain them. Don't be the one that's out there by yourself. You are the prime target for Satan. You are the first one 
that the lion will come after. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and the goodness knowledge, and the knowledge self-control, and the self-control perseverance, and the perseverance godliness, and the godliness mutual affection, and the mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from becoming ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Number three is we got to keep growing, guys. We can't let ourselves stagnate. We can't, we can't go and drop into cruise control. We've got to keep reaching out. We've got to keep loving one another. We've got to keep learning about God, learning how to be a, a, a better brother, a better sister, learning how to be a better discipler, learning how to be a better disciple, learning how to be a better follower, learning how to be a better servant. Keep growing. Keep learning. We're not there yet. We haven't arrived. God's not done with us. We say, well, we're in quarantine. Well, I, I mean, you know what? I can think of no greater challenge than a lot of us are facing of being locked up in a house together. Talk about learn, opportunities to learn to be gracious, to learn to be patient, to learn to be kind, to learn to forgive. I think the hardest people to forgive in life are members of our own family because they know us and they know what buttons to push and they know what really bothers us. It's amazing how we can be very nice to a total stranger on the street and be so angry at somebody in our house. It's where Christianity really gets tested. It's where we get a chance to really grow in the grace, in our grace and in our love. So even in COVID-19, even in quarantine, but in all situations that we keep growing, we have to guard our hearts. We've got to guard our hearts. Philippians 4, 6, he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. In Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. These are the things that we need to fill our hearts with. Our hearts get corrupted. Our hearts get filled with junk. Our hearts get filled with garbage. If we're not careful, our hearts get filled with garbage and it quickly changes how we think which changes how we feel, which changes how we act. And we're either becoming more like Jesus or we're becoming more like the world, but we're becoming something and it's affecting all of us. You know, there's things that we focused on when we became Christians. The, you remember the seven deadly sins, greed, lust, gluttony, wrath, envy, pride, laziness. Those are the classic seven deadly sins. And we worked so hard to repent of these things. And for the most part, we, we did. And, you know, some of these we got to keep watching. We got to keep an eye on them because they will, like a weed, grow right back. And they'll creep back into our hearts. But then there's also other ones that develop as Christians, as disciples. The seven d- deadly disciple sins. Self-righteousness. Legalism. Judgmentalism. Divisiveness. Pride. False doctrine bitterness, 
these things creep into disciples' hearts. And we don't even realize it. We start thinking we're better than others. We start thinking we, I've done more than others. Or I'm, I'm a better at this. Or my Bible talks better. My, my group's better. My region's better. You know, I think, I think metro region is going to do great things. I think we're a special place. I think we have an incredibly amazing group of people and that God's going to use us for great things. But that at no point does that make us any better than anyone else. And it doesn't make us better than other regions. It doesn't make us more loved than other regions and doesn't make us more righteous than any other regions. It just makes us special. And that's the way God is. God treats everybody like they're special. But I believe God's going to do some great things, but that doesn't mean I look down on anyone else and we don't need to. We're here to serve God and be used every way and any way God wants us to. Judgmentalism, divisiveness, all these things, they creep into our hearts and they cause even in the church divisions. And and Paul wrote, let there be no divisions among you. None, none, zero, that we see each other as brothers and sisters. Everyone who does God's will is my brother, mother, sister. That's what Jesus said, right? And, and we go through tough times and, and if we, if we, if we go through them without faith, we become bitter. But if we go through them with faith, we become better. We become more and more like Jesus. So we have to guard our hearts. And that's a really important one. I think the older we get as Christians, you know, I used to hear all the time the, the parable of the, of the prodigal son. And I would hear it preached and I always related to the prodigal son. Because I was him. I went out in the world. I messed up. And then I turned myself in. God forgave me and I became a Christian. But now I've been a Christian 38 years. It'd be a whole easy, a whole lot easier to look like the older brother than the younger brother. Who said, all these years I have been working and serving. What did you do for me? Wrong heart. Wrong heart. It's easy for that to happen. So we have to guard our heart. No garbage. It's got to be our policy. No garbage in my heart. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Sometimes we just, we need healing, especially when we get hurt. It's not a thing we repent of. It's a thing we need to be healed of. And sometimes just confessing sin enables us to be healed by God. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I will tell you this. This is probably, if you remember one thing from this sermon, remember to throw out the trash in your heart. Confess your sins. Don't walk around with secret sin. And I suspect that there are a lot of us, we got secret sins. We need to deal with it. If you don't deal with it, it will deal with you. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. This is probably one of the most important keys. Lastly, let your light shine. He has shown you, immortal, what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly, faithful, Jesus said, with your God. Get out there and help people. Help things to get right to be just, to be fair. Love people. Love mercy. Be merciful. Forgive. Be gracious. Be kind. Walk humbly 
or faithful with your God. Do as he, everything he commands and be humble with the Lord. Humility is so incredibly important in this life. Give what God has given you. It's so easy sometimes to, the older we get, we've given for years, we've sacrificed for years, we've poured ourselves out, and we get tired sometimes. And it's easy to start pulling all that back in and not want to give anymore, not want to help other people. It's wrong. You know, Jesus told a parable about that. The guy had one talent, three talent, five talents. And the guy with the one just buried his. And sometimes we think, well, yeah, but I was like the five guy for 10 years. Well, what are you today? We don't stop giving. Why? Because giving is good for us. It's good for the church. And therefore, God loves it. It makes all the difference in the world. So let your light shine in your ministry, your Bible talk. Give your talents to God. Use them for the Lord. Step up and serve. Step up and give. Nobody's asking anybody to give too much. Give what you can. Whether it's contribution, whether it's time, whether it's talents, whether it's serving, give whatever you can give. That's what God looks for, a cheerful, giving heart. These are the keys that keep us faithful. These are the keys, because in the end, the only thing that's going to matter is that we're right with God. That's what's the only thing that's going to matter. By the same word, the present heaven and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, be patient. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You know what that means? Why hasn't Jesus come back? Because he wants to give a lot of people time to repent. He wants everybody to have a chance to get in. He wants everyone to be saved. He says, don't worry. It's not that Jesus is slow in coming back. For him, a day is like a thousand years. It's been 2,000 years, right? Is he coming back? Well, if a day is like a thousand years, then it's only been two days. Watch out. Jesus likes to do things on the third day. We're starting the third day. He will be back. And the truth be told, we need to do all that we can to build a great church, to advance the mission, not just for ourselves, but for our kids. Michelle and I's daughter is seven months pregnant. We're going to have our first grandkid in two months. I want that kid to grow up in a great church. I want that kid to have every opportunity that her mom, my daughter, had to know God, to love God, and to serve him. And I want that my kid, my grandkids' kids. Jesus could come back before. That would be awesome. Or he may not come back for another 500 years. And in 500 years, I want my kids in the church, knowing God, having Jesus to turn to. And no matter what happens in their life, they have help. And I want them all at the end to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. One of my, one of my friends wrote 
a book called, is called it. I want to hear him say, well done. I don't want to be well done. It's up to us. But those are keys. The sanctifying process, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. That's part of the mission. Isn't just getting baptized, but staying faithful all the way. I have a stupid little goal, but it's my goal. One of these days, I'm going to have my last breath. And with my last breath, I want to say, Jesus is Lord. And I hope you can too. God bless you. You've just listened to the Metro LA Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit MetroLARegion.com 